Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein, and I hope you will watch, learn, and listen carefully because today's guest has an amazing story to share with us. Reverend Dr. Jomo Cousins is in the house today. He is the senior pastor of Love First Christian Center in Riverview, Florida, and he definitely has the ability to light up a room as he shares his many secrets on success in business and spiritual issues. Many people grapple with these issues daily and trying to live a purpose-driven life with meaning. Today, he joins us to share and inspire us with some of his experiences in the NFL as a defensive end for the Arizona Cardinals and the New York Giants and some of his many challenges off the field and those things that certainly led him to success today. Reverend Dr. Jomo Cousins, welcome to the show and thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. It was an honor to be requested and I'm so thankful to be here today. It's amazing as as we get opportunities to share and only ultimately share our testimony that I'm just honored to be here. So thank you. Well, again, I really appreciate it. And I want to start by taking a a little bit of time to chat about your early years as we as we start off here. So you were born in Kingston, Jamaica. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. Well, uh, amazing story. Uh, my father, um, his father, blonde hair, blue eye Englishman. Okay, he comes to Jamaica on vacation. Uh, gets with my grandmother, and he goes back to England. Uh, my father comes out. And when I realized is a lot of my issues I had was from my father and he didn't have a connection with his father. And therefore my father didn't see the, the connection of me. And so growing up in Jamaica and then my mother came to America, my father was kind of in and out. Now, many people may have this story where the father was not always consistent, but uh, I loved, uh, went to Jamaica, went to, was in school in Jamaica for a short period of time, but then mostly grew up in the Washington, D.C. area and just uh, walking out being different for a season. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize you were from D.C. You know, that's where I grew up as well. So oh, wow. uh, in, in Northwest Washington, okay, okay. Anyway, small world. But anyway, I wanted to um, also ask you a little bit about you know, faith in your journey and was faith always a part of your life or was there something that actually, you know, triggered your faith? Amazing. When I was, uh, I think around 10 years old, um, I was outside playing, went inside and I was at my mother's friend's house and I went to the guest bedroom just to, just to, to chill out and Billy Graham was on TV. Okay. And of course, you know, Billy Graham doing what he do. And he said, just lift your hands, just lift your hands and say this. So, you know, I'm a kid. I said, okay, well, let me try this. And <laughs> so I lifted my hands and I made the, the confession and I went back and played. Uh, fast forward, uh, almost 20, uh, almost about 11 years. And uh, I'm in the NFL and I actually give my life to Christ, I think, for the first time. And in that moment, God kind of put on a film and he rewinded me back to that room. I lifted my hands and gave my life. And then he showed me every instant in my life that he saved me. And so even though I did not walk or go to church, uh, my mother didn't go to church, 
he was showing me every time his hand was on my life. And when I came to it as an adult, he just reminded me of what I said as a child. Now, your uh, family um, was in a car accident. How old were you when that happened? Ten years old. Uh, So it seemed like it all happened around the same time. But my mother was uh, pregnant with my little brother. We were on 14th Street uh, going north. And you know the area. And uh, a particular driver on the other side was was overtaking somebody, came into our lane, and there was an accident, and we had actually crashed into a barricade. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had to call the jaws of life and cut my cut us out of the car. And uh, my, my mom's friend was in the car again. And in that instant, when we were sitting on the road, and they first were concerned about my mother and the baby, and then concerned about everyone else, but they found out everyone was, was good. And they, you know, they took my mother to the hospital. After that experience, my mother had a phobia and she could no longer drive. And we lived out at that time in Silver Spring and then we moved to Gaithersburg. But the gist of it was she couldn't drive anymore. Hmm. And she taught me how to drive at 10 years old, stick shift. Wow. And uh, for a season, I would drive her to work, hmm. D.C., mm-hmm. drive back home, park the car and walk to school. <laughs> now, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just trying to take all that in. So yeah, it's, it's it's an amazing story. And what's what's crazy about it? Family would come from Jamaica, and she would tell them, "Have Jomo take you." <laughs> now they're looking at me at that time, ten, eleven, twelve years I old. Because from ten years old, I was driving. Because what she would do, she she would get in the car and she said, "Jomo, take me here," and I would just do it. Now I'm the age the whole time, the whole time. Oh, highly illegal. Um, but in, in that season, uh, growing up in a single parent, my mother, I was her quasi male uh, work, do this. So I was a latchkey kid. So responsibility was thrust on me at an early age. And after the accident, she just kind of said, Jomo, you'll figure it out. And I just kept figuring it out. So I learned how to drive. She taught me. And from that point on, I was driving. And it was so bad that when I got to about 14, now I started feeling myself. I would just drive to school, park yeah. about a couple blocks away, walk to school, get home, get walk back a block, and then drive. Because, you know, no one could actually know that I'm actually driving. But, you know, once you taste freedom, it's hard to go back. So, <laughs> I, and, uh, but it was just, she, she tried to get therapy. She tried to take medicine. But the, the the accident changed her. And with the accident changing her, it changed me. It changed the responsibility I had to take on. It changed the way I thought about life. Uh, I have always, uh, prior to her passing, I paid for half of my gift. Every gift I received, I paid half for. So if I wanted the video game system, she said, you have to figure it out, pay half. And so... I appreciated things so much more. I remember when I got my uh, paper route, I was, I was delivering the Washington Post and they fired me, by the way. They fired me. Can you believe they fired a child? But what I, had, was, I had a route too at nine. <laughs> yeah. uh, what happened was- I understand. After, after, I finished my, after I finished my route, I have like 15 or 20 papers. Now, what are you supposed to do with that? So I went ahead and separate, I set up a VIP route. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and neighborhood people would pay me a you know pay me a dollar for the Sunday paper. I thought that was you know 
ingenious that, you know, you want me to throw it away? I think that's a waste. That's a waste. <laughs> because they fired me for starting my own route. But um, but I had to figure it out. And that, I believe, uh, was the catalyst and impetus to a lot of things I've had to do in my life. I've had to figure it out. I know when I was in college, there's a season where, you know, when my mother called me and said, Jomo, we don't have any money uh, for you to go. And I got there, but she says, I don't have the money to keep you there. And this is semester one, freshman year, two months in. And she said, we don't have the money. And at that point, I had to figure it out again. I got a staffer loan. Uh, I walked on a football team. I walked on a basketball team. I walked on a track team. Now, I came to college just to be a student. That's what I wanted I was, to know. You know, yeah. if that, that if you even had football or basketball, no. or any of these things on no. your mind. I loved basketball, and I was good at basketball. And I actually had an opportunity to play basketball in college. But at that time, my whole goal, I just want to be an engineer. And the only reason I wanted to be an engineer was uh, my, my counselor said, Jomo, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. I said, I want to know what makes me the most money in four years. And I don't care what it is. That, that was my mindset. I just need to start <laughs> making some money. money. You're right. The most money, four years. He says, engineering. I said, sign me up. So that was my whole, there was no joy. No, no, no. I need to figure it out because my goal was I will work for a couple of years and then I'll start my business. I mm -hmm. always thought that I was going to be some kind of business person. So I said, you know what? Just get me in the game. Get me the degree. Get me started. After a couple of years, I will build my business one way or the other. So that was my whole goal. But when I got there and realized that my mother, um, we didn't have the financial means, mm -hmm. that I had to figure it out. And by God's grace, I walked on the uh, the basketball team first. And then the track team said, they'll give me a partial. I said, oh, I'll take that. And then the How did that happen though? I mean, did you, I mean, you know, you didn't play or anything in high school, right? I mean, I played basketball and I ran track. I okay. did that. But you didn't so know. I was, I, I was decent. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, the team was looking for a shot putter. And I said, well, I did that. So the coach said, I'll give you a partial. I said, I'll take that. <laughs> and between a partial, a pal, and a staffer, you know what? Glory to God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the math worked out. And so it got me there. And then football was the second year. And I went to football because it was an opportunity for a full scholarship, even though I never played before. Mm -hmm. What it was, uh, me and some of the other sport guys who had scholarships, we played basketball together. And I would do really good. And I said, you know what? You have a full scholarship? You know, I wasn't trying to say they were bad athletes. I just said when I played against you, I don't, I don't think you deserve a full scholarship. So as I'm playing with the football players who have full scholarships, I'm saying to myself, if you could have a full scholarship, I yeah, know I could have a full scholarship. Now, I never played, but I just know I played, you know, Little League. I never played, you know, football with a helmet before high school. So I just knew that I could do it. And so I've always had a mentality that if I believe I can achieve and I'm going to go do it. And so I learned on the fly and it was brutal. Mm. It was painful because, you know, grown men trying to hit you, they're not trying to, they're not going to give you a learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to learn, you're going to learn through pain and, <laughs> and, long and, mercy, and pain and suffering. Oh my Lord. But oh. I, 
I was in a position where failure was not an option. Mm-hmm. And when failure is not an option, you don't have time to fail. And so I made a lot of sacrifices. I went through a lot in that season. And by God's grace, a couple years later, I was in the NFL. Who would have figured? Right. And now uh, I did want to talk to you a little bit about how all that came about. But we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk to the Reverend Dr. Jomo Cousins a little bit more about uh, his his walk uh, into the NFL. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. A lot of things have come to a screeching halt due to COVID-19, but you should know that the court system in Tennessee is still open and holding in-person hearings for orders of protection and other types of abuse cases. If you have a hearing date, double-check on where your hearing will be held. If you need assistance on an order of protection or temporary restraining order, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443 or visit our website at www.las.org. And we're back here speaking with Reverend Dr. Jomo Cousins. He is the pastor of Love First Christian Center in Riverview, Florida. And we were just talking about uh, your walk on to the the field with the NFL. So tell me a little bit more about how that came about. I just, it's funny that um, I'm playing, I'm learning as I'm playing, okay? And I think it was my second year, and uh, one of the guys I was playing with gets drafted to the NFL. And I said, wait a second, this might be my ticket. Uh, you know, because at first, my first goal was to just get college paid for. Any means necessary. If I have to go run, hit somebody, get a scholarship, I'll do it. If I got to run fast, get a scholarship, I got to do it. But I'm just not trying to go home. Uh, right. I have to figure a way out. And this was my way out. So once I saw a guy named Jamie Nails, he was drafted to the Buffalo Bills in the fourth round. And man, he was driving his brand new truck around campus. And I said, ooh, 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 he don't punch <laughs> this ticket. And I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe I could punch my ticket too. Right. So when <laughs> I saw that it could work, I made up my mind. I, and I called my mother. I said, mama, I love you but you're not going to see me for about two years. And I, I was locked in. You're not going to see me for a while. I'm going to stay here in the summer, the winter, the fall. I'm not going to stop until my name is is in that number. And so I locked in. And I said, you know what, an engineering degree, uh, that's about $35,000 at the time. Getting to the NFL, that's a couple hundred thousand dollars. I said, that's a better use of my time. So I really locked in that I'm going to go to the NFL. And it's funny that I had friends and people telling me, man, you're crazy. And I would do crazy things. I mean, I would go over and beyond preparation because I said, if I do average things, I'll be an average person. And if you want something different, you have to do something different. You can't do what everyone else is doing and expect a better result. I already knew that I was behind the eight ball, never played high school football, don't have experience. And when I walked on the field, they didn't even give me pads. They said, because, you know, you are a walk-on. There is no budget for you. So I had to have other players lend me their pads, lend me this and lend me that. So I really felt like an outcast. And, of course, you know, they don't put you on the field as a good player. If they have a scholarship player, they chose. They chose a scholarship person. They allow you. 
See, that's a big difference. When they choose you versus allow you. So now if they allow you, you have to go over and beyond consistently for them to put you on the field. I remember one coach said this to me. He says, Joe Mo Cousins, you look like a million dollars, but you play like a penny. My God, just broke me all the way down. But I see you know what? He broke me down, didn't he? Come on, that had to hurt your feelings now. And so in in, in that, it, it, it motivated me that I'm I'm going, you're not gonna say that about me. I, I appreciate your two cents, and he at the time he's right. I don't know what to do. I'm not. I don't know the techniques. So mm-hmm. I just kept pushing. And so I got to the NFL combine, meaning they, they choose 300 athletes in America uh, to invite them to Indianapolis for a combine. I got invited to that. And uh, I did well there. And prior to the combine, Mel Kuyper, who's like the, the draft guru, said, you know, I'm probably a top 10 uh, defensive end, which, which would have meant, you know, second, third round, which would have meant I'm a, pretty close to a millionaire. Uh, That did not work out the way I thought. How about this, my woman? This is a story. How about this? (laughs) I'm about to get to the draft, right? The San Diego Chargers call me up and say, Jomo, it's the week before the draft. We want to work you out personally. Mm. I have an exam. I have an exam the day they want to work me out. My dumb butt. I said it. My dumb butt. (laughs) My dumb butt. (laughs) I have a friend, Cedric. We're great. I love him. Mm -hmm. He plays the same position I do. I said, said, I can't make the work. I got to finish my final. I'm a business econ major. It's an economics test. I want to finish so I can graduate. I told the scout, I said, man, I can't make that time. I have an exam. Well, my friend makes the time, okay? So I come out after the workout to talk to the scout. How about on draft day? Who did they choose? They choose my friend who worked out. He He didn't go to the combine. He wasn't even on the radar. I don't know if you ever had a situation in your life where you knew you missed your window. Well, you, well, you, well, you know, you know, you know, you missed your win. He called Jomo to work out Jomo and Jomo refers him <laughs> to my friend. Uh-huh. My friend is a good athlete, but he didn't have the recognition I did. Yeah. And he got drafted two rounds ahead of me. Mm. And of course, you know, you kick yourself and you kick yourself and you kick. Because of course, you know, what I tell you all the time, opportunity does not knock. Opportunity drives by. So when opportunity comes, you better jump on it. Because it's yes. not going to sit there and wait on you. Absolutely. And mm. so I look back on my life and I said, my God, they called me and I told them I had to take an exam because I was always a student. Yeah, you always feel like that's the most important thing and not even real. And you didn't you didn't even think to ask somebody, you know, it's like correct. Correct. I should have got my butt on the field and told the professor, you know, because professors don't listen to you much when you say you're an athlete. They're like, man, whatever. If you don't make the exam, just get an F. You know, you you know, professors could do what they want to do. So I just thought that was the wisest thing to do because they've already seen me at the combines. 
the combine is where everyone is. So we, I've already been through the process. But sometimes the week of draft, they'll do personal workouts with interesting people. And so I blew it. And ah. Uh, or did you? <laughs> you know, do you, did a, you ever do you ever feel like you have uh, imposter syndrome? You know, a lot of people struggle with that, you know, with you're not having the background, you know, you all of a sudden you end up there. You know, is that favor or even if it's favor, you know, you might still feel like out of place. Do I deserve to be here. Agreed. Know? I know that in ministry, I felt that often. Mm-hmm. because the way God has kind of catapulted me from obscurity uh, to something bigger without me having a history with church, ministry, religion, or faith. So at times I question why God chose me. Why does God use me? Now I, I have gotten over that space because God has confirmed it over and over and over again. But even some Sundays, when I know who I am and know all the junk in my trunk, <laughs> you could often feel like, who am I to tell you how to do life? Mm. Who am I to say that it's possible? So I, I balance that with God uses imperfect, imperfect people. And I am imperfect. And through all my challenges and vicissitudes, I have learned how to walk with a limp. And that's the reality. We all got a limp. It's just we walk differently and people may not recognize our limp or our weakness or our issue, but we all are dealing with something. But how to walk out your issue without everyone recognizing you got an issue. Right, right. Amazing. I mean, you know, so many things come up and we wonder how um, is it that we are to choose one thing over another? Just making decisions in life uh, can be daunting, especially if you don't have um, a lot of people in your life who are leading you and guiding you. It seemed like you really had to kind of do a lot of this, a lot of life on your own, whereas some people have so many people, you know, pouring into them and supporting them and helping them. And so it, it is fitting that you became a pastor. So there other people who might have been along the same type of journey that you are, there you are to be able to be that guiding force. So I think that's um, that's really awesome, amazing, uh, amazing work there. Now, um, I wanted to ask, now, you mentioned to me earlier about, um, separately in, in another conversation, that you ended up um, having to leave the NFL after an injury. So tell me about that. What happened? I know sometimes we think something's going to last forever in life. I don't know where you were with things at the time, but what, what happened? I tore my uh, ACL, your anterior cruciate ligament. Now, that would have been the second time. I actually tore it uh, in college one time, um, and I had to recover. But this was the second time. It actually happened in Chicago in, Sho- in uh, Soldier Stadium. And uh, I knew I was done. Um, and I was engaged with a guy and the guy fell on my leg and another other guy pushed me and I heard my knee, my knee snap. I just, I knew I was, I knew I was done. And so then now I have to recalibrate life. Uh, I thought the NFL and football was my ticket. 
And now I realize the National Football League, the NFL, really means for Jomo, not for long. <laughs> I thought I would have a second contract and have finances, but I realized for me, my house. <laughs> so now I can recalibrate myself. And so, you know, I have my degree. I'm educated. So I send my resume out. Before I was drafted, Merrill Lynch wanted to hire me. And now that after I've gone through some football, I send in my resume. I get no response. Mm. And I think about it. What's my work experience? NFL football player. Looking for a business job. And so then I know the world we live in. You know, people look at resumes. They don't meet you. They don't understand the content of your character. They don't know who you are. All they see is a piece of paper. So you imagine this paper comes off, you know, a, a fax machine or the email says Jomo. Okay, something's weird about him. Jomo. I mean, right there, you're just kind of, you know, how many Jomos do you know? So then you figure, you know, Jomo, then Jomo's cousin, <laughs> his work experience, NFL player. Okay, he has to be a dumb job. I mean, so no one responded. So I, uh, my wife said, Jomo, why don't you substitute teach? So I went down and I got my substitute uh, teacher situation. And then at night, I worked at Walmart. I went to Jackson Hewitt. And I did taxes and I was very good at it. Uh, it's my lane. So I did taxes. So I, I was a substitute teacher in the daytime. I worked at Walmart at nighttime. Now you have to imagine this season of my life. I'm pulling up to Walmart in an Escalade. Okay. It was pimped out. Okay. Rims and everything. And because, see, I still had stuff from football, but I didn't have football money. Oh, man. You know, because, see, <laughs> the stuff you brought, you just can't get rid of it. And it was a lease. <laughs> And I try to go back to Cadillac and say, please take it back. I'm not in the NFL no more. I can't afford this. And they say, no, son, this is your car. And so uh, <laughs> driving an Escalade, you can't afford to work at Walmart. Mm. And so it was so humiliating. It was so humbling. Mm. And as I'm there in this right, and they, you know, Jackson Hewitt didn't have a big enough shirt for me. So I'm wearing this tight shirt in a cubicle at the front of the Walmart. Lord <laughs> mercy. And see, it was the front of the Walmart in Metro West in Orlando. That mm -hmm. Metro West is like the most popular Walmart in Orlando. So I'm seeing people who know me saying, Jomo, is that you? And you know you want to cuss, but you can't cuss. You know, you knew it me. <laughs> You know, Jomo is that you? Of course, it's me. What other big black man do you know named Jomo? You know it's me. And so it was just such a debilitating, shameful, embarrassing time to be at that one because they're seeing me. They don't see me as a tax preparer. They see me working at Walmart. That's that's the it, bottom line. You're in a Walmart store. That's wow. where you're working. And so, you know, people come to you. What happened? Mm. Are you all right? I mean, I had women that, that liked me. Coming up there, Joe Mo, do you need a sponsor? It should mean I need a sponsor, woman. I'm married. But you know, <laughs> just, just the stuff that was coming at me. Because people just knew they're like, well, let me help you. No, nah, I'm good, man. And I told a guy, he said, Man, Joe Mo, I was in a, I was doing a tax for a person. And he said, Man, you are so sharp. I said, Yeah. He said, Man, why you what you doing here? I said, Man, listen, I'm a diamond in the dark. And I'm waiting right. for the light to get cut off. <laughs> Meaning, I always knew who I was. It was just a season I had to go through. And oftentimes, if you're not careful, you will allow what you're going through to become who you are. Yes. Mm. There's times and seasons where you just have to go through the season. What you're going through is not what you have to become. Mm. You're in a season and seasons end. So I told a friend, I said, listen, man, 
My life right now is like a stick shift. I just dropped the clutch. I'm not broke, but I'm just decelerating quickly. So it's just a mentality you have to have because life will punch you with some gut punches that you're not ready for. And you have to you have to just understand that this too shall pass. Yeah, as I listen to that too, it makes me think, you know, if you didn't go through some of those things that you went through, you probably wouldn't be able to relate to people like you can relate to now, you know? And, and, and sometimes we don't understand maybe why we're put in a particular place or position, but it's always a reason, you know, when you think back, it's like, oh, okay. So you can relate to the person that might be working at a Walmart or wherever else and understand that, you know, this is what people have to do. And it's nothing wrong with that to support your family or, you know, support yourself. That's just life, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about bouncing back and how you got into ministry. We'll be back right after this. When it comes to relationships, there are some obvious signs you can use to spot someone who might be abusive. First, they have a tendency to want to rush into a relationship. They may also show signs of jealousy and mistrust. And you could find they expect you to be perfect and will try to cut you off from other important relationships. They could also be abusive towards animals and children. To learn more about the signs of dangerous individuals and how you can identify and avoid unhealthy relationships, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443. And welcome back. You're watching the Celeste Stein Show on BBS Radio. And I wanted to introduce you again to Reverend Dr. Jomo Cousins. He is the lead pastor, senior pastor of Love First Christian Center in Riverview, Florida. And we're having a wonderful conversation. Uh, this is, I really appreciate your coming on and sharing uh, your life story. It's been amazing thus far. We're going to continue um, with talking about um, how you actually got into ministry. So you were working at Jackson Hewitt and he said Walmart um, making ends meet after being in the NFL. What uh, occurred after that that led you into ministry? So here's the story. I'm um, I'm at Walmart. I'm a substitute teacher, and uh, they 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 made me a permanent sub. And uh, I happened to have the class that was most challenging. And she said, the principal, Miss Maxwell, said, Joe Mo, it seems like you could handle these kids. I said, Well, I know them because that's me. So uh, I took on the class, and she gave me. A, she said, "You know, you could, you could have English, or you could have the varying exceptionalities. Varying exceptionalities mean there's varying exceptionalities." I said, "No, take, <laughs> give me the problem, kids." I said, "Because I know the bar is not too high, and I do well to work out." So I'm in the class, and one day she says, "Jomo, the FCAT is coming up, and we need a guest speaker." And I know you play football, so I want you to get one of your friends to come speak to the kids. I said, "Miss Maxwell, I can't do that. It's football season. Nobody's gonna come." She says, Jomo, uh, I want you to understand you're not in the NFL. And what I tell you, you're going to do. I said, well, okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> I called around and no one responded because it's football season. And remember, Orlando does not have a professional football team because that's what we were living at the time. So it's not like someone would have to fly in. It's not going to happen. Right. So she said, Jomo, well, here's the reality. If you don't find somebody, you're going to become the body. <laughs> she said, yeah, yeah, you're going to do it. Oh, no. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to do it. I'm not a speaker. 
I said, Mr. Cousins, again, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. <laughs> so I said, okay, let me figure this out. Now, I had spoken in college a number of times and come to find out uh, when I was uh, 23, uh, the school asked me to speak to the uh, high school graduates. I didn't realize it was a big deal at the time. I was just talking. And I, I, made, I had a speech, you know, life's a ladder. That was my speech. And after I finished speaking, a lady from AT&T came up to me and gave me her business card and said, I want to hire you for public relations. I was so ignorant. I did not know public relations was a job category. I'm like, you get paid for public relations? Just, you speaking know, to people? <laughs> at the time, my mind, I'm going to the NFL. I don't need a job. You know, just so, just anyway. So I do the speech. People are coming up to me from the elementary school saying, man, you're a speaker, you're a speaker, you're a speaker. Within two weeks, a friend of mine calls me. Uh, he works for a speaking company. And they said, listen, we're looking for another athlete who speaks well. Can you think of somebody? And he says, Jomo. So they call me up. And so then I drive to Apollo Beach for the interview, Tampa Bay area. I do the interview. In the midst of the interview, I start weeping, like bawling. And mm. because the guy asked me a question, he said, man, what kind of season? And he's a believer. He mm. said, man, I heard you have strong faith. Tell me about it. And I start sharing my story. I start crying. They start crying. We start crying. This is a job interview. And everyone is here crying. Wow. And after I finished, he says, I don't know if I have a place for you, but God told me I have to hire you. Mm. Well, I'm going to take it. And so <laughs> they also gave me. $42,000. Listen, I was jumping like, like David. I was dancing like David was dancing. I mean, because, you know, I'm a substitute teacher and I'm working at Walmart. $42,000 at that time? Right. I said, man, yes. Now, I still live in Orlando. I drove from Metro West to Apollo Beach every day. Oh, you know wow. you want a job. When you drive an hour and a half to work right. every day, right. you know you're hungry. I've been there. And so... <laughs> <laughs> I probably did that about three or four months. And then my wife came home from school. She was a teacher. She was a graphic design teacher. And she said, Jomo, I lost my job. I said, what do you mean you lost your job? She says, um, a tenured teacher that does the same thing I do wants to come to the school. And the way the school system works, whoever has the highest tenure can request a position. And they requested mine because this was her first year. So she was boohoo crying. And I said, praise the Lord. I don't have to drive an hour and a half. I said, God going to figure it out. So we get there. And so we moved to uh Riverview. That's how we got the Riverview. And I was starting to go to a church, just going to church, not trying to cause no trouble. <laughs> and uh, the pastor says, man, I heard you're a speaker. I said, ah, I don't know about that. Anyway, he says, can you help me with the offering message? Now, I did not know at the time the offering message is the worst message to give in church. I didn't realize I was getting whooped, but that's all right. I went up there and I said what I said and people gave. And he said, man, you're really good at asking people for money. I said, well, it's kind of what I do when I travel or speak. You have to ask. And before you know it, he said, man, I, I'm going to ordain you as a pastor. And I said, you sure? And he ordained me as a pastor. And that's kind of how I just got into it. I didn't ask for it. Wasn't searching for it. We were just serving. My wife and I just served. And, uh, Never saw it. And after I I got ordained, like a week later, a uh, brother came up to me and said, man, can you pray for me? I said, sure. And then also I started prophesying. I, I, 
Mm. And I tell you, he had an issue with a home. He said, man, I'm looking for a home. And God told me to tell him, I said, within seven days, you're going to have a house. Now, why did I say that? But I said it. <laughs> the next Sunday, the brother came to church screaming. Oh, my Pastor God. Jomo said it, and it happened. Oh, oh my God. God. I didn't realize I just killed myself because the senior pastor saw <laughs> that he said, listen, nobody call him pastor no more. And he kind of just kind of, he felt uncomfortable. I didn't know I was threatening. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that was the first start sign. And I, I just kept serving. And then when I was flying, we had a trip, a trip to LA I had eight speaking engagements. At that time, a speaking engagement was, you know, $5,000 per for me. So I knew I was going to make $40,000. And we land, and everywhere that I was supposed to speak was on fire. Every appointment was canceled. Eight? You know, the odds of every place you're supposed to speak on fire is, like, impossible? Yes. So my business partner, great guy, former Marine, said to me, Jomo, I know when we started, you said that you may not be speaking for long because you think God's calling you to ministry. He said, all these fires, I mm. think God is calling you. He said, <laughs> he said, he said, I don't want to work with you no more. He said, and he just said, he just, he just, he just said, Jomo, I think this is a sign. I said, you think? I said, yeah, I agree. And right. uh, because the, the the company I was hired to, they closed down. And I started my own business. Once I figured it out, I started my own business with a couple of friends. And that's when this trip to L.A. happened. And I knew that I couldn't do it anymore. And so I sat home for six months. And I said, Lord, if this is you, if you want me to preach, you better open the sky up, the Red Sea. Uh, you better show it because I don't want this. I don't want the hip. I don't want the hypocrisy. I don't want the judgment. I'd rather just speak. See, as a speaker, I can speak, be successful, have money, have nice things. And they say, that's great. But as a pastor, you get judgment. Same gift, same gift of speaking, but in a different lane. So I didn't want that. And so I ran from it. And I knew God told me to preach. And people were telling me. And I said, no, Lord. And I said, you better tell me clearly. So I waited for six months. And I was at a yard sale with my wife and family. And this, this brother came up and he said, I got a word for you. And, uh, you know, when you're in a valley of decision, everybody got a word for you. I don't want to hear no more words. I want God to speak. Anyway, he says to me, Jomo, God will not step in until you step out. God has told you to do something and you have been disobedient. Mm. I was like Nathan when Nathan told David, you the man. Man, I was undone. And uh, it was, how about this, Celeste? It was July 12th, 2008. Okay, July 12th. Now, guess what? July 12th is my wife's birthday. Okay? Sign number one. Okay? July 12th, she is pregnant with Josiah. Mm. After the brother says that word, guess what happens? She goes into labor. So as she's going to labor, she says, Lord, please let this baby stay one more day. Because I don't want this baby to have a birthday with me. Guess what happens? <laughs> he comes on the same day. Wow. Mm, mm, the mm. prophet came, her birthday, and the birth of a child. God <laughs> said, if you don't ring that one, son, 
if you can't figure that one out. <laughs> and so as Thank much you. as I did not want to, I knew that was a sign I needed. I wanted to be overwhelming. And my wife even said, I already know, we, we got to start a church. Because she was like, Jomo, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. I don't want any of it. Let's That's just do something different. <laughs> yeah. And so that confirmed it with her. And I still wrestled. She said, Jomo, because I was talking to other pastors and they're like, man, you're too young. You didn't go to Bible school. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And so I had every excuse for why it should not or would not work. But after that word, I called the pastor and told him what I was going to do. And he called me everything but 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 Lucifer. <laughs> and I stepped. About two weeks later, we started our first service on July 27th, which is 16 days later. And we've never looked back. Mm-hmm. And God has continued to increase and grow and grow and grow. But it has been a walk of faith. If I knew what I knew now, I would have started before but I did not. The church we were at, a good Sunday with maybe 35 people, 40 people. So I never saw thousands. So to me, when God has called me to preach, I said, I don't want this. Right. You're not I, thinking I, like I, that. Yeah. I don't want to be paycheck to paycheck. I, I, I don't want this. And I told God, I told, I, I should have never said this, Lord, when I save a million dollars, then I'll go do the pastor stuff. But let me get my money right first. That's what I told God. And that's why God shut my butt down. That's why all every place I supposed to speak was on fire. I went through bankruptcy. I went through foreclosure. I went through repossession. And I had I didn't have to go through all that. But I just couldn't see me being credible with all my issues, with all my baggage, that God would use me. So I hesitated. And I tell people the story all the time, man. God can use anybody. If he can use Jomo, he, he can use anybody. Well, one thing, you know, it, it seems as if you really have a connection, too, with the millennials and the, and the younger generations. Because uh, a lot of times people are like, you know, they have so many distractions that I feel I didn't have growing up. I don't know about you, but, you know, with, with social media and the cell phones and all that, how do you think you were really able to relate to them in such a way that you do that really um, helps them to stay on track? I think for me is the transparency, authenticity to show my scars, show my wounds, show my mistakes. In this social media world, all we see is their best day. Right. All we see is everything perfect. And so when you can disarm people with transparency, with failures, like, you know, I was interviewed a a few years back from an atheist. And he said, I just want to interview you. And I told him how, all the issues I've been through, the, the death of my parents, the death of my uh, of my lo- younger brother, you know, my daughter going through her sickness and me being going through bankruptcy and foreclosure. He was undone. He says, man, he says, I don't believe in your God, but who tells the truth like this? He says, I'm just not used to all this honesty. <laughs> he, he was just, he, he, he couldn't handle my transparency. But the Bible tells us it's in truth. And so, we are made overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I purposely use jargon to connect. My wife said, Jomo, you have a PhD. Now you're smarter than how you sound some Sundays. And I said, I agree, baby. But my goal is I'm going for the one. I'm going for the lost one. 
And I had brothers call me up and say, man, thank you. I understand you. I had a sweet lady come to me and I, I was getting frustrated with the radio. Uh, we have a radio program on every day. And I was frustrated. I told my wife, I said, Lord, I, I don't hear nobody say thank you for the radio. You know, I don't see nothing. I said, Lord, maybe nobody's even listening. So I'm just going to cut it, Lord. So I'm telling God, right? Sunday comes. My sister comes to me and says, Pastor, I want to say thank you. And my son says thank you. I said, where's your son? She said, well, my son's in prison. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, yeah, but I thank you. I said, so why is he thanking me? He said, well, Jomo, 1.30 on most days, Monday through Friday, the prison stops and listens to you. Oh, wow. I said, what you mean? She said, well, Jomo, there is no other voice that sounds like you on Christian radio. It's a lot of older, whiter voices. There's nothing against it, but they don't speak to me. Mm. And when they hear you, you sound like them. I said, Lord, I mean, Lord, you got to lay it on that thick, Lord. Lord, I heard you. Okay, Lord. So I stopped talking about the radio. I don't say nothing <laughs> about the radio no more. I said, praise the Lord for the radio. God bless the radio. And it's funny. Last week, I had a guy at the construction site, a younger brother, and uh, looked like a cowboy, white brother. Good goot. Daniel, he said, man, are you Pastor Jomo? I said, yes, I am. He said, man, stay in your lane. He said, I said, what you? He said, I love you. And I said, man, Lord, <laughs> thank you. Because sometimes when you're doing things without people recognizing, you may think you may be laboring in vain. Mm. And so I thank God for his, him helping me to be real, transparent and sometimes i use jargon or urban vernacular to connect because right. at the end of the day if i'm not connecting and if they're not listening they're not learning and my whole goal is to be real i say all the time i'm real raw and relevant and that's the goal transparency honesty because we can't show people where we are and not show them what we've been through that is so true. I mean, you really have to be transparent like that so that people understand that you're just like anybody else, you know, that you're living life every day and that you have challenges. And I mean, to listen to you, I have to ask you, you know, how do you keep smiling every day? How, you know, how do you have so much joy and laughter? You know, I mean, and you are, you are definitely funny. So as yes. a great speaker, um, how, how, where is that coming from? You know, that joy. Well, ultimately it's God, but my wife often asks me, you know, cause dealing with my, 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 my daughter's issue is very depressing because I've been to many doctors and they all give me, we can't help you. And so I told my wife, I said, love, if I stay there, I'll be depressed and I'm no good for anybody. I said, so I have to understand that this is the cup God has given me. Okay. So this is a quick sermonette. I've learned that everyone has a cup they don't want to drink. Everyone has a thorn they can't get rid of. And everyone has a cross they don't want to carry. And that's life. Paul said in, Philipp uh, in, in Corinthians, Lord, I asked you three times to remove this thorn from my side. And God said, son, my grace is sufficient. Jesus said, if it be your will, let this cup pass. Jesus said that. And he endured. 
So yeah. I, I've learned that I have to trust God in spite of. I remember when my mother was diagnosed with cancer and it wasn't looking good. And I, I prayed and I fasted and I did all these things and she still passed. And I was angry at God. And God get, get, gave me a message. He says, Jomo, you can't buy a miracle, son, but you can trigger a harvest. And what I am doing through you is bigger than you. And so I have to understand and we have to understand that our lives are connected to so many other people. And when I realize that me allowing my light to shine affects so many other people, it's like Acts 16, where Paul and Silas were in the prison praising and praising and praying, not realizing they were not just setting themselves free, they were setting everyone else free. Found out late in life, my name Jomo actually means burning spear. It means fire. Wow. Not knowing all this as I've walked through my, my journey. And so now I connect all the dots that God had. My goal in life is to keep the fire in people lit. So I can't allow my light to be dimmed. Even though uh, I go through the same challenges everyone else goes through, my mindset is that my purpose is to keep people lit. And I will, as long as I have strength in my body, do that. God gave me a second chance. I'm seven years now post-cancer and chemotherapy and all that. And I realize now that every day I get is an opportunity. I could have been done, but by God's grace, he gave me a chance. So every day I get up, even when it's early in the morning, I'm tired. I count it all joy because all we have is today. Tomorrow is not promise. And with losing my mother and my father, every day is precious to me. Every day is an opportunity. And every day, and this is what I do. This helps me. I'm one day closer to seeing my baby healed. Mentality. So oftentimes when we go through things, you have to shift your perspective on the situation to help you navigate through it. I tell people all the time, if you can find the purpose in your pain, you'll find power. If you can find the purpose in your pain, you will find power. So mm. you change your perspective by what you're going through because there's a fruit that will come through what you're going through. Mm, that is so powerful. Also, um, as I was listening to you, I'm, I'm hearing you say, you know, I, I had to, it was a time I was disobedient and God was speaking, but I kind of wasn't listening. <laughs> and then you began to listen and things sort of turned around. Um, for listeners who might not, I, I know you have a book, um, yes. How to Hear God. You know, for those listeners who may think God is was speaking way back in the day, not, not now. I mean, you know, yes. what would you say to them? <laughs> Well, my, my simple thought is God wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us. He's our heavenly father. Earthly parents would want to talk to their earthly children or would they want to speak to a person? No, they would personally want to speak. I want to personally speak to my child. Okay. So oftentimes in life, when I realized that God will speak to me personally based on God speaking to Adam, Eve, 
Cain, Abel. God spoke to people through the Bible. So what, and the Bible says God has not changed. So if God has not changed, his systems have not changed in reference to wanting to have a relationship with us. Jesus came so that he could, so we could have communion, community, fellowship. So God wants to talk to us. Prayer is not us just talking to God, but allowing God to talk to us. Simple point. The Bible calls God the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the finisher. So God is in my tomorrow today. I'm going to be slow. God already knows my tomorrow today. So wouldn't it make sense for me to talk to God today about my tomorrow? So God wants to speak to you. So I tell people all the time, if God doesn't get to you personally, he'll send a person. And the person will come to you and say something to you they should not know about what God told you to do. Absolutely. And if you don't listen personally, and if you don't listen to a person, then guess what? God's going to send you a problem. And the problem will have you deal with what God told you to do. And guess what? If you don't listen to the problem, guess what's coming? Pain. God's going to make you change. That's now, right. here's an amazing thing that people never thought of. God wants us to learn through models and mentors, okay? God, God's preferred method, method of teaching us is through models and mentors. Well, the challenge is, if we choose not to listen to our mentor, God has a solution. It's called a tor mentor. <laughs> the word T-O-R is from the root word tornado. So oh, guess wow. what? If you don't listen to your mentor, the positive voice, don't worry, God will send you a Tor mentor. And now the Tor mentor is going to turn your butt around. So the question is, as my father would always say, you can listen or you can feel. And I've had enough feeling in my life that I just want to listen right now. So God wants to speak to us. God wants a relationship with us. But we have to avail ourselves. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, a stranger they will not follow. Jesus wants to speak to us and allow the Holy Spirit to help guide us and lead us into all truth. That is so powerful and so amazing. And if if uh, the folks want to get a copy of that book, because it will help you, lead you with the steps that you need, they can find that certainly on Amazon, I know. And, yes. uh, you know, please get that book because uh, like I, I, I've definitely got my copy right here <laughs> and, um, it, it is powerful. So I really thank you. Thank you so much for, um, joining us today, Pastor Cousins. Uh, this is an incredible, um, just appreciate you so much and the work that you're doing in our community. Um, keep at it and, I look forward to, to fellowshipping with you on Sundays, and we thank you uh, for being here. That's all the time we have for now. Please join us on the Celestine Show on YouTube and join us again in two weeks. Thanks for watching.